Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good morning. Let's jump in, right? Let's jump in. We're, uh, we're last chapter of James. We're doing uh, verses 1 through 12 uh, this morning. We'll, we'll finish up next week. Um, we're talking about being patient today. I'm going to talk very slowly the whole service so you can practice. Uh, no, we're going to talk about patience this morning, and I'm going to talk very fast because I want to cover a lot because it's a big deal these days and where we put our priorities, and sometimes uh, we violate things that are a priority to him, and it rushes us. We, we run to things that he says, uh, wait, I have one of my favorite fill-ins in quite a while today. So we're going to get to that in a minute. We're going to hear from Job as well, uh, but we're going to hear mostly from James since it's his book, and therefore by default, who are we hearing from the most? God. That's fun. I I just asked a question at church and no one got it right. That's wonderful. We'll see if second service does better. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Uh, That's because God inspired James, right? So we're mostly hearing from God. We followed that piece? Okay. All right. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the ability to have fun and not to mind the little things and to fear not, like Bryce said in his prayer earlier, but to see, Lord, what you see, hear how you hear, and then move forward in the direction that you're going. And so I pray, Lord, as we touch on some sensitive topics, I pray, Lord, mostly that we would feel the grace and the freedom to follow you, no matter what it sounds like or how difficult it may be. And so I pray that our time this morning in your word would be to that end. Help us get there, Lord. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. James chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. Uh, Let's get started in our thing on being patient. Here we go. Come now, you rich. Well, that that leaves me out. I guess this one's for you guys. All right. Here we go. Uh, You rich, weep and howl. Should we we try that out loud here? No, let's not. Uh, Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Why would he say that? He says to the rich, um, which by the way, what, what defines the rich? They have money, okay, good, good. This is an interactive church, just so we remember where we are. I know, some of you, you sit in your cubicles and you're told to be quiet, I get that, okay. We're going to have a little fun, out loud. Uh, rich, they're defined by the money they have. So what's the priority they have? Money, and if you ask them, how much is enough? Their answer is one more dollar, right? More, more is enough, right? Uh, weep and howl. Why would we tell somebody who's rich to weep and howl? Because they've, they've arrived at their priority, right? If their priority is money and that's what they've been chasing, they have riches, uh, then in theory, they're happy. Life's good. Maybe some contentment. And Jesus says, uh, hold on a second. You need to totally flip that and go to a whole different page. I, I think I would be pretty content if I were rich, right? He says, no, you instead you should be weeping and howling because miseries are coming upon you, right? Now, some of the rich are probably saying, it doesn't matter, I can buy my way out of it, right? I'll get the best doctors, I'll get flights to wherever, and we'll solve it. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Verse 2, uh, he says, hey, this, this stuff... You've accumulated, what's going to happen to it? What did, you just, what did God just call stuff? Eternal or temporary, right? You're saving up, you're gathering, you're collecting something, you're prioritizing an expendable commodity. Your gold, your silver, verse 3, corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
<laughs> Happy Sunday. <laughs> uh, you have laid up treasures in the last days. He's saying you're laying up treasures for the last days. Uh, what's the implication? You think they're the right treasures? They can't be the right treasures because they're moth-eaten, they're corroding, and the whole thing. And I love the imagery. This is very subtle. I hope you caught it. Um, these metals are being corroded or eaten away. And he says, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. In fact, not only are we going to have your stuff go away, what's happening to your body? He says, your body's getting eaten away, your flesh. Right? So you're going to lose more than your possession. Uh, you ever went to do something and it turned out even worse than you thought? Like worst case scenario got even worse? You're trying to do something and you didn't realize it was still plugged in and next thing you know you're shocked or something's on fire or who knows, the saw went, took off. Um, uh, my brother had a story like that with the chainsaw. He's got a really cool scar that goes all the way up his arm now. Now, pay attention to the most important parts of that story, because some of you, your faces, ooh, faces you're making right now are scary. He's fine. I said my brother has, not had. He's still here. Scar and all and the whole thing, and he's still working with chainsaws, right? We're burglars. We don't learn very fast, <laughs> Okay. Um, but it's this idea that we can invest in things that don't pay off. Worse, we can invest in things that look like they're great. And what do we end up with later? You ever invest in a relationship and bam, it's over? Um, work in an industry for 25 years and then they turn their back on you? You ever had that happen? Uh, build a product up for sale only to find out that someone came up with a new improved model and now yours is... Worthless? Or you can't find a buyer? Uh, life go like that sometimes? Sure does. Behold the wagers, verse 4, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields. Uh-oh, now we have other people involved. It was just about us and our stuff and our gold and our body. Now we've got laborers, right? Uh, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. When you treat someone, good, bad, or ugly, does God see it? Does he care about it? There's something about God that he likes to draw attention to when you're doing well and when you're doing poorly. He says, you mistreat the people that work for you and for negative reasons, hold back something due to them, that's actually a testament against you. You thought you were gaining by withholding funds, right? So you're going to be having more money. And God says, no, actually, that's going to work against you. What you thought was a benefit is going to be a detriment. Oh, we're using big words today. Detriment. Um, and they cry out. Why would they cry out? Like, to. Do wages cry out? I mean, this is symbolic, right? Um, but what's God trying to get a, 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 us to understand is this. Um, he hears. They have reached the ears of the Lord. Little cries of little things. We think are unseen. We think have very little effect or you can get away with it. And no matter how small they are. In fact, Brent talked about this a few weeks ago. All the small things, right? Uh, who can hear all those things? They reach his ears. Uh-oh. Guess who's listening, right? Um, I love that line from A Few Good Men and the, the soldiers and everything, and they're having this discussion, and it goes poorly for them. And the one says, you know, we, we were just following orders, and the other said, and uh, then they ask one of the officers as he's on trial, they say, well, what do you think happened? And he said, blah, 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 and God was watching. Love that when the secular world stumbles onto truth, right? And not by accident either, by the way. Don't believe in accidents. Uh, verse five, you've lived on the earth in luxury because that was your goal and that was your priority. And in self-indulgence, ooh, that feels a little awkward. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You're doing well. 
Verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Who'd you prioritize? Self, right? Don't do that. Uh, and then it says he does not resist you. Now, that's, that can't be true, right? If you're trying to come after me, I'm going to resist you, right? This is not a statement about um, intent. This is a statement about ability. You go after people that can't protect themselves. They can't resist you. You have enough power, enough money, enough influence. You're picking on the little guy, and you're going to get away with it. God says they can't resist you. Um, is, is that like a badge of honor? Like you get yourself in a position where you have uh, power, privilege, possession, resource, where you can make some things happen? I mean, I'll tell you what. There's times where when I accomplish something, like I figure out what's wrong, and I go down, and I bought a 32-cent plastic part from the hardware store, and I come home and strap it together, and blah, 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 and oh, the hose is working again. I feel like, I, wow, I did something. Um, we do that in big ways that involve other people rather than a hose, uh, and it hurts them. It does damage. It says you're putting yourself first. Don't do that. Verse 7, be patient. Uh-oh. Look at your outline. Look at the top. James chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. I told you I always steal this stuff, right? What's it say? Being patient. Why? Because in verse 7, we get a directive an imperative. We would call it a command. Be patient. Uh, have we heard about patience the first six verses? Not with people, for sure. With Not with God, absolutely. But there's, a, there's another kind of patience going on in the first six verses. I will wait and work as much as I have to, as long as I need to get mine. Uh, I think one of the worst things in culture was... Uh, music and sports industry in the 80s and 90s where the phrase came to popularity, I got to get mine. And contract negotiations and things like that. I remember when Major League Baseball went on strike and they went on strike for the longest time. And here I am trying to buy my $4 bleacher seat and get my buddy to ride with me so I can split parking just to watch a game. And they're upset that they're not getting this many millions or those many millions. I haven't paid for baseball tickets since. It's serious. Really, that's what's important to you? I mean, come on. Be patient, therefore, seven. Let's find out what we're supposed to be patient for. Therefore, brothers, by the way, says talking to Christians, right? Um, us. Until the coming of the Lord. <laughs> what just happened? What did he just tell you? How long do you have to wait? Forever. <laughs> you know, like, how much time do you have in your life? However much that is, like till the coming of the Lord, or till you go see him and, right, and you barely get in front of him, he's going to come to you, right? So how, how much of that time do you have to be patient and wait? <laughs> that's, that's not being patient, God. That's called not getting the answer I wanted or what I wanted in the time I wanted. That's not patience, Lord. That's no. You're just telling me no. Um, by the way, how's God uh, feel? Is he okay with telling you no? It's like his favorite word for me, right? I'm not sure if my name is no or Scott I, sometimes, right? Why? Why would we wait that long? Be patient until the coming of the Lord? Why, why would we indefinitely wait? <laughs> Don't get in God's way. Okay, good answer. Let's see how that works, right? See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Think there's ever been a farmer who was a little anxious about his crops? Whether enough rain had come or there'd been enough Sundays or he'd fertilized it enough or tilled it enough or pruned it enough, I mean... I just used up the whole of my knowledge of farming, okay, right there. Um, being patient about it until it receives the early and the what? The late rains. There's something about the whole of the process that God says, value the big picture. Every piece that's under his umbrella is covered. 
And for many of us, we, we think that we need to solve it now or someone, something's at risk or why would Bryce have to pray what God has told us over and over in the Bible, fear not? Why do we fear? It's the perception of future loss. We think that we're going to lose something. And it may be absolutely, totally false, but the fear becomes real. Right? And this is the thing I, I hate about sometimes uh, dealing with emotions. Because you have a conversation with somebody and said, Oh, I'm just totally afraid. I said, Yeah, no, it's, it's not appropriate. No, no, that is how I feel. Okay, well, I understand I have to validate your feeling because the fear is real. You've made it real, but it's secondary. The loss, this potential loss you think that's coming, doesn't exist. No hay nada, yeah. There's nothing there. So the feeling is real. Let's validate the feelings. I want to hear your heart, okay? But the potential loss is not there. And God says to us, hey, mm, I can do everything. I know everything. I designed everything. I've got this big process, this plan do you think the system works? It's really a faith statement. When we get anxious, when we push, it's really, a, it's, it's borderline sin. Uh, let's, say, let's call it sin. It's a sin of faith. Do I really believe that God's in control? When something is taken from you, hey, let's, let's move out of the potential loss and there's nothing there. How about you did lose? How about gone? Was awesome, had it for 25 years and now just yanked out from underneath you with no explanation. Now what? I mean, I, I deal with men who walk in and sit down and go, she, she's gone. I say, what happened? I don't know. Boom, it's just gone. What do you do there? Have patience until the coming of the Lord. How does that feel? That feels empty, doesn't it? Well, by itself, it feels empty. But if we remember, hey, there is a God. He is in control. He works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. Do we believe that with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible? We stop and we say, maybe there's a bigger picture going on, and there's things I've yet to be able to see. Maybe God's acting behind the scenes, which are in the front scenes for somebody else, but I'm backstage. Is there another act in the play? Is there another chapter? Is it over? That sounds like bad news. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. It's actually great news. We just found out when the actual end is. That's when it ends. And before that, is it over? Before the coming of the Lord, is it over? It's not over. It ain't over till it's over. Ever heard that? Right? I have a buddy. Anytime a game's getting really out of hand, he sends me a picture. A very, very large lady, like, um, got the helmet with the horns and the, and the big old metal outfit, like doing an opera thing. What's that? Why does he send that? Because she's singing. And it ain't over until she's singing. Right? Um, do we believe that about our Christianity? Do we believe that it's not over until God says it's over? Never over. We can act like it's over. We can want it to be over. And then you find yourself arguing with John Rambo in a town he's destroyed. And somebody comes in to try to talk to him. And they say, come on, Johnny, it's over. And what's he say? Nothing is over. It's over when I say it's over. I love that. Has God said it's over? Yeah, he said it's over when I come. Has he come? He's not here. Okay? We'd know. He says, wait then. Because there's this whole process. There's early rains. There's late rains. There's stuff you can do working on your crops, whatever. You also, verse 8, be patient. Have we heard it twice now? You also, be patient. Establish your hearts. Bam! What money just get replaced with? Hearts. 
And then watch this, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Whoa, wait a minute. I thought we had to wait forever. You said, how long do you have to wait? And nobody answered. And then you, you kind of got loud. You said, forever. Yeah, till the coming of the Lord. But guess what he just told us about the coming of the Lord? It's at hand. I want to know what that means in the worst way. In fact, I've read my Bible a little bit, and I have seen in so many places where Jesus himself said the kingdom of God is at hand. Here we hear that the coming of the Lord is at hand. That means it's right here? Is that a time statement? Is it a proximity statement? Is it both? How am I supposed to understand it? Here's how you're supposed to understand it. Uh, zero answers to any of the previous, okay? Later, now, proximity, both. What are you doing now? What are you doing today? In fact, now let's go back to last week. Let not any of you say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such and down and conduct business and make a profit for a year. He's saying you don't know what you have. What you have is today. And by the way, the, com the coming of the Lord is at hand. I think it's more than a time statement. Absolutely. I think it's experiential. I think it's holistic, intrinsic. I can experience it right now regardless of the time. Scott, are you saying there's not going to be a day when the Lord actually comes? At a, no, I believe that's going to happen too. Understand the theme of what is going on here. Did, did Jesus return after this, like really fast? Was the coming of the Lord at hand? It's been about 2,000 years since then. So was this a false statement? Or might there be a deeper meaning coming out of it? That's what I want you to pull. Pull the deeper meaning. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another. Hmm, does money cause fights? Always. Yeah, I know yes is supposed to be the answer. The answer, real answer is always, okay? Money always causes fights, right? So that you may not be judged. Judged about what, your brother? Judged about how you treat your brother. If your pursuit of a priority allows you to justify mistreating someone, this doesn't exist, folks. How you treat people. Watch this. Behold the judge. Why do they capitalize the J on judge there? <laughs> emphasis, right? You got to make sure you put the emphasis on the right syllable. Um, the judge is standing at the door. Ooh, do we have an argument now for proximity? Remember I said, is this thing about the coming of the Lord at hand, is that a time statement or is it proximity? Well, we got another reference to proximity now. What's James want us to understand? His brother is dead, resurrected, and ascended to the Father. He's in Israel, Jerusalem, on his own, trying to figure out how church works in this whole new thing. And yet he says the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's something about us that we need to recognize in the midst of crazy. Where's the Lord in it? What should we be patient for? How are the people around us? How are they doing? Right? Um, we, we've got a bunch of people that are really okay with dead bodies on the path behind them. We got a bunch of organizations that are happy to do whatever they want as long as they catch their bottom line. And they don't care what it does to people or children or the state as long as they get theirs. Uh, we've been called to greater than that. Amen? That's happy Sunday for me. Uh, verse uh, 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Does it sound like patience to you? They were blessed who remained steadfast. That's probably a good little two underline for you, remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness. Oh, now we've heard the word twice. 
the steadfastness of Job. You heard of Job? Remember Job? Right? Loses everything, gets sick, all his kids die. I mean, just gets really bad. Then his buddies show up and tell him how horrible he is. Who needs enemies, right? And yet Job stays faithful, it says here. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and mercy. What's that? That's a statement about how Job ends. What a, what a tragic story for 40-something verses, or chapters, I mean. And then right at the end, guess who wins? Two, three-letter words, God and Job, right? But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What are your priorities? What are you putting your faith in? Do you think that you can affect tomorrow or the next day or other people? It's weird because this last, this last thing kind of almost feels like it doesn't fit. But thematically, it kind of does because he's saying, look, you, put your, you, you invest your value, your time, your efforts in these things. They won't pay off. But it will change your perception of yourself that you think you can guarantee things. Make an oath. Don't worry about it. We'll make a deal. And uh, you ever seen a deal uh, get... Uh, fail contract get violated right happens all the time he says hey look be yourself in the moment say yes in the moment say no you start predicting about tomorrow well you know if you do this and be careful now are we talking about businesses signing contracts and things not really talking about that we're talking about christians and how they treat other people Okay, so please don't take that contracts are bad or anything like that. I read, you know, today or tomorrow, we're not supposed to go such and such a town. That's an individual statement about who you're prioritizing, yourself or God. Okay, so we got to have some disclaimers here and there. Otherwise, um, we have trouble. P- people don't get it sometimes. They're even, they're, they're afraid to try scripture, to try the concepts and, and let them kind of soak in. It's, it's kind of like Sunday mornings where no one will sit in the first two rows, right? I, I, I built this row so that this would be the first row. Because if that's the first row, well, who will sit in it? Scott and maybe his family. Then where's the first row of actual people? The third row. Well, that would be the second row at that point, right? So I put this row up so that this row would be free, but then... We only have three second row people, but they're off to the side. It's like we're afraid to, to pull in and engage and try what God wants to do. It's a silly analogy, but I'm, if I'm your pastor, then silly is one of your uh, spiritual gifts. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Um, how many answers do we have? Somebody said one, and I know what they mean, and I love it. Um, In general, however many questions we can ask, we probably have very few answers. We have some answers, right? Uh, I've always said I I like the concept of having more questions than answers. Because implying that I have a bunch of answers implies that I know more than I really do. When I start to know too much or think and have confidence that I have the market on something, or I've solved it, or my, the way my dad would say that you've arrived, that's when you start getting in trouble. That's when you start thinking today or tomorrow I can do this, or I can make an oath or whatever, or I could hold back some riches and for myself, and I can kind of mistreat, mistreat people on the side. And all of that goes against patience. All of it push, pay, puts patience on the back burner. All of it gets you in trouble. All those little things. And here's what we need to understand, first and foremost. We get this from verses 4 and 9. God hears beyond you. One of the things that scares me the most 
uh, is my job. Apparently, I can get in a lot of trouble with the big guy upstairs. And we just read some verses that talked about the cries of things reach out and they, they arrive at the ears of the Lord. To me, that means we're to understand that God can hear and he's listening. And he hears things that are beyond me. There's things I've done that have effects at other places and I have no idea. But God does. And it scares me to death to think that I might have to stand before him one day and have him say, D minus. You did 42% of what you could have. Or something like that. And then for me to ask, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you had all these opportunities. You, you messed them up or you said certain things on stage when you were preaching about scripture. And nice try. Good effort. But man, as you would have said back when you were on earth, you jacked some things up, Berglund. I wish you had been more patient about this or had tried harder at that or avoided such. I wonder what he hears beyond me. Never know. If he wanted me to know, then I would know. Hey, how come God hasn't revealed his full will to me? Because he doesn't want to. <laughs> Maybe you'd be too awesome and everybody would be jealous of you and he's saving everybody else from being jealous of you, okay? Or maybe you'd mess it up or maybe you'd take a different path that he wants you to take. Uh, there's no reason for us to know the things that he hears that are beyond us except for knowing that he knows more than we do. He hears more than we do. He feels more, he does more. Where do you stand there? If you're trying to manipulate, dictate, the family's going to do this and that's all the family's going to do. Right? Careful. I have seen in my life too many times where I have made absolute statements and God said, oh, well, let's see about that. He likes to have fun with me in a Southern accent is what he does. So God hears beyond you. We've got to remember that. Um, does that apply to when you're afraid? God hear beyond your fear? Does he know what's going to happen later? What about your sadness? Or when you've been mistreated? Or were you having like best day ever? He knows when that's going to end too. Right? You, you get some great bonus and you think life's going to keep going that way. You're going to make this much for, and then all of a sudden he knows something's going to get snatched out from right from underneath you. And it happens. It happens to all of us, right? Um, which brings us to the next one. Something's coming. Well, that's profound, Scott. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he says it in, in, in this passage. He said, look, there's always something coming. Well, what? What? Pray, do tell. What is it? What's coming? I'm not going to tell you that. There's so many times in the Bible where God has said, get up and go, but doesn't tell you where. Stop what you're doing, but he doesn't tell you why. Something's coming. How do you prepare for that? Something's coming. Virus, drought. Money, bonfires. Oh, did you think I was talking about California? <laughs> um, relational stuff. If you don't know what's coming, you just know that something's coming, how do you prepare for that? Uh, that sounds like an illogical question, Scott. Well, you need some type of alternative preparation. If I don't know... If 20 people are coming to my house to eat, then am I preparing a bunch of food? If I don't know they're coming, I didn't even go grocery shopping, right? There's got to be an alternative way to prepare, 
right? Gather resources or friends so that in the moment that you do find out, hey, 20 people are about to be at your house. They'll be there in 30 minutes. What? Quick, call the McGrogans. They're the kind of people who sign up early for the party. Right? That'd be a different resource, a different way of preparing for something that you don't know. We're at church. Everybody got that? Well, not everybody. There's like a bunch of people watching online. But we're, we're doing church together right now, okay? And I'm about to ask the question. How do you prepare for something that you don't know is coming? Trust God? Did he say prepare your heart? Right? And then what was the command that he gave us at least twice? And then kind of alluded to it two more times by using the word steadfast. What's our job in preparing for something that we don't know is coming? Practice patience. Go to the back of the line at the DMV on purpose. I went, I went to the DMV this week. It was my fastest DMV experience ever. It was glorious. I almost felt like it didn't count. I want to take Marissa. It's like, no, we got to go to the back of the line again and walk through just because if you don't spend enough time here, then it doesn't sink in or something. I don't know. Right? Uh, which my daughter has her license now as of about this time 48 hours ago. So I reiterate, something's coming. <laughs> What do we wait for then? We're, we're meant to be patient. Wait for the late rain. God says, wait till the coming of the Lord. That's how you're supposed to be patient. But then he gives this quick little analogy of a farmer and his crops. And then you know, the early rain and then the late rain. What is a farmer waiting for in the late rain? The last tragedy before you can pick up the crops and take them to market? No, the last rain is not a tragedy. It's not negative either. It's when God brings water on the earth and somehow that water helps hydrate the plants or fruit or veggies, whatever it is, and like finishes the process. Wait, wait for the end of the season. Wait for the last great step he's going to take that you've yet to see. Something's coming. It's going to be awesome. Oh, it is? What is it? No idea. Change how you think. Change how you feel. You can't change how you feel, Scott. Ah, uh, I disagree. Change how you think, how you feel, the whole thing. Right? Something's coming. Wait for the late rain. Job knew this. James references Job. And we got verses 1 through 8 explaining this. And so verse 8, like what does it say? Establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord is at hand. And why? Because of 12. The very last phrase of verse 12 is so that you may not fall into condemnation. There's nobody understood that better than Job. They believe Job might be the oldest book that we have. And the problem is it's so old they don't know. So they can't know. But most of the smartest, like the majority, think it's the oldest writing we have in Scripture. Why do you think it lasted so long? Why did they canonize it and put it in, the guys that were smarter and before us? Because of things like this. Job 1, 21. Do we have this? And he said, he being Job, okay, Job loses his family, his friends, all of his livestock, his house, everything. On top of that, um, the hand of God touches Job and he gets boils all over his whole body. It is a problematic passage when we talk about the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen? Who makes them happen? How do we justify it mentally? Job didn't care about any of those questions, by the way, because he was living them. He was at bottom, beyond bottom that you've ever felt. Rock bottom, bottom of the barrel. No return, thinks it's over. 
And in that state, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. What's he saying in that sentence? I came with nothing. Man, just like a mom, mamas always know, don't they? I came here with nothing, and I'm leaving with nothing. Now, I like to think, well, the second naked has some scars. You show up pristine. You leave marked, but with nothing. The Lord gave, amen? Really? Only a, only a Caleb on that one? The Lord gave. Has the Lord given you? Anybody got kids? Everybody ever had a paycheck or got to drive a car? Won at anything? Enjoyed a good meal? Had hair that actually continued to grow? What has the Lord given you? Amazing. What Relationships? Experiences? Looking off the edge of half dome? Praying no one's behind you to push you? How many things has the Lord given you? That last breath, the next one, if the sun comes up tomorrow? All of those things. All good things come from heaven above. Lord gave you the chair you're sitting in right now. The fact that we even have a church. That's why I'm having a party. And if nobody shows up, I'm going to rage. Not angry. I'll party by myself. Because I know absolutely a lot of the behind-the-scenes stories of how he gave. And we're going to try to tell some of those stories leading up to it. And then that night as well. So the Lord gave, amen? Man, we're going to practice that with you guys. And the Lord has taken away, amen? Nah, you didn't like that one, did you? No, I, I force-fed you into the loud amen on the first one. But on the second, when the Lord takes away, we turn into Yosemite Sam. We got all kinds of things to say under our breath, or we're just, I'm not going to church this week. I'm mad at God. I don't know if I believe this. I'm not calling them back. When the Lord takes away, in the midst of the bottom that Job was experiencing, he says, And the Lord takes away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job have any, any clarity on what God's plan was? Maybe one thing. He's going to destroy me. He was probably thankful for the next breath each time. And he said, whatever the plan is, I know who's in charge. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, Job, and his last friend are the only ones that really come out of that book in good shape. It's a great story. Because at least two guys start to figure out God's in control, and we're going to stop making up reasons for why he does this or that. We're just going to say, this is what happened. I observed it. I'm attributed to God, whether I think it's a give or a takeaway. Blessed be his name. but we as Christians, we don't like that. For whatever reason, we don't like the idea that God might cause bad things. Oh, that's so rough, Scott. Oh yeah, how about this one? How about God causes bad things? You ever heard of the flood? Or that one little sea that they tried to cross and some people got over and some people didn't? Peter didn't float the whole time he walked on the water. That got scary. It got bad. God causes bad things, folks. Or how about God causes things? We attribute whether they're good or bad, and how accurate are we? 
Love that you don't answer that question. We're wrong most of the time. Sometimes when we're right, we find out we're right for the wrong reason, right? Sometimes we're wrong, and we're wrong for the right reasons. Whatever it is, what is God's lesson? What is his path? What is his goal? What is your role? we got to figure that out. Job was clear on it. I don't like this. Jesus even said it in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's about to go into crucifixion. His, his uh, disciples about to betray him. He said, Lord, if you could just come up with a different plan. I don't like this, is what he said. Now, he said it in different words, right? But I like to translate. But how does Jesus finish that statement to God? He says, I don't like this plan, but whatever your plan is, let's do that. Ready, break. Right? I think I turn everything into a sport. Lastly, purpose, compassion, mercy. Read those, right? That there's purpose that's going to come, compassion and mercy. They come to the steadfast. I wrote it that way because I wanted you to see those verses from the passage rather than just the be patient, right? It's being patient has kind of lost its meaning. It's so common these days. But to be steadfast, guess what you get out of that? God will show you some compassion. He will deal out mercy. You ever been playing cards? And they deal the cards, and you pick up the cards you've been dealt, and you think to myself, oh, I'm going to destroy everybody. I got the best cards. Could you do that in life? A little family vacation this summer uh, when we had the, uh, all the kids and the whole thing, and uh, they found this game and I'm, I'm blanking on the name uh, right now, but uh, was, the deck was a lot thicker. There were more cards than a normal deck, and, and you're trying to make sets and pairs and all this different stuff. And we started playing this game, and we had the greatest time. And, and I finally figured out, like, if you, get a good, if you get dealt a good hand, you're in great shape. If you get dealt a poor hand, it's over. There's not much you can do. It's really about the dealing. Right, And so we had the funnest time. Um, how do you get a good hand with God? He's the dealer, by the way. I want, a, I want a good, compassionate, purposeful, merciful experience with him. That's where we're trying to go. So be steadfast. If it's something temporal, then be steadfast till the late rain of whatever that season is. I love that fill-in. That's one of my favorite fill-ins, the middle one today. If it's character, if it's about you, not a situation, then be steadfast until the coming of the Lord, which is forever in your experience. Amen? Um, you have trouble being patient? You ever having trouble dealing with loss? You have questions about anticipation or your status? Talk to the Lord. How do you prepare for something that's coming that you don't know? You, you talk to the Lord. Hey, God, I don't know what's coming, but uh, take care of us. Show me what I need to know. My wife and I have been having some conversations lately because we've been having some difficult circumstances. And we've been talking about how we think we're coming into a season that's going to be difficult for a while. We're not really sure what's coming. There are too many unknowns for my liking. It'll be interesting to see how we go through that. God, what are you doing? What do you want to do? Where are you taking us? Right? Do you have God on your side for that, for you, in your situation? 
What are you asking him for? In my view, you're just asking him for patience and steadfastness. I hate this game, God. Can you, can you make me better at this game? Before you deal me good cards, deal me patience cards, because I need to learn that. And we'll do the win the game thing later. Or how do I sit out around? Everybody else sitting at the table, and there's no spot for me. I, I just want to play. He says, nah, you're sidelined for a bit. You're benched. Or how about this one? I want a break. And God said, no, you need to be the point person for a while. I don't care how tired you are. Get up and go. And you'll say, where? And he says, I'll tell you later. Get up. Get moving. You need that this morning? You need any of those things this morning? Or you got one of your own that you need? Talk to him right now. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would hear us and the things that we are waiting for, anticipating, fearing, hoping. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, prepare us and help us with the things that are coming, that we've yet to know. Well, then help us in our pursuit of you. Help us to be patient with you, Lord. Help us to see it that way rather than patient with a thing or a person or a process. Help us to see it as being patient with you. If you're here or you're online and you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, I need to start that whole patience with God thing. I've never started it. I need that relationship. That relationship with God put me back on the right path and help me for things that are coming, for who I am, for a solution to sin, the promise of the Holy Spirit and guidance, an ability even to understand what comes out of Scripture. Ask for that this morning. If you never have, ask for that first. If you've already asked for that, have some fun and ask for what's next. Father, show us how to pray for all these things. And thank you for what we're allowed to do as a church and Pray for this offering and our ability to receive it and how it plays into us continuing. We pray all this in your son's name, amen. Sign up in the back. I'm getting impatient. It's a violation of this morning for me. No. Uh, may he establish your hearts until every late rain. Amen? Go with him. <laughs>